Welcome to the Self-Helpful Podcast. I'm Kevin Miller, and I think I'm like you. At the end of the day, I just want fulfillment and peace and joy. So I hunt for the latest and greatest authors and experts in self-help and ask them the candid and in-depth questions I'm curious about for my own growth. I bring these conversations series to you so we can learn and grow together. In this episode, I'm back with Andy Norman to walk through his personal values, motives, and habits in the key areas of life fulfillment so we can hear what is driven and does drive him to help us create mental immunity, the title of his book, and to consider our beliefs and design also the life that fulfills him. So we're going to hear that candid sharing from him. Previously in episode 1033, we talked about the message in Andy's book, which is mental immunity, infectious ideas, mind parasites, and the search for a better way to think. And Andy is striving to help people develop immunity to bad ideas. And my focus in that episode with him was looking at how we define and embrace our beliefs. But here today we cover Andy's personal values and habits, the very things from which his own beliefs are derived from. And he discusses how he sifts his own ideas through a filter of asking, is it actually useful or true? And relationally, he talks about emotional dislocation. And we banter a bit about the issue of objective reality, especially in relationships. Spiritually, he cites his upbringing was simply, he was expected to devote to a greater good. And this still guides him today. You can find Andy's book, Mental Immunity, anywhere and connect with him at andynorman.org. Hey, if you find value from this self-helpful podcast and this episode, subscribe and leave a review about the episode specifically. Best of all, talk about what you heard, what you learned in it with someone else. So you both benefit. You can always find me on my website or social media at kevinmiller.co. Next up, Andy Norman's personal values, motives, and habits. Andy, in our first show together, we talked about, I don't know if we use the word spiritual, but my gosh, when you get into the aspect of beliefs and whatnot, I mean, that's uh, top of the list, I think, in most people's mind often is uh, spiritual and faith-based beliefs, whether you do or don't. And then if you do, what kind and whatnot. So I'll put that to you. I know you start the story off or start your book off with a story, a tragedy that happened in a Jewish synagogue uh, that you, where you had your, had a child at school. Uh, Two boys, boys. um, both attended the tree of life, uh, the daycare center that uh, met in the tree of life synagogue in Pittsburgh. And uh, my, uh, my younger son encountered somebody he thought was God in that synagogue and then uh several years later after they'd graduated out uh robert bowers showed up with a, a submachine gun and started killing and ended up killing 11 of my neighbors wow that's so that's your and you also said in there or i guess it was when we were talking offline that you did not grow up in a real uh faith, i don't know i don't know if you said faith-based but not a real regimented yeah. uh family but did they practice the you know a jewish culture or tradition at all um, so I'm not Jewish. Um, I live in a community okay. with, with many Jewish folks. Um, my my folks joined a Quaker church. Oh wow! A Quaker meeting house they call it. Uh, 
when I was young, and I still have some very fond memories of that that time. But I think I'm more comfortable thinking of myself as a secular but spiritual person than a religious. I, I'm not terribly comfortable with religious with the term religious yeah. uh, in, as applied to myself. Um, but I but I surrounded by uh, many wonderful people who are religious, and I try to learn from them and uh, and find common ground with them while also telling them what why I I'm so why I feel so strongly about um, my secular way of looking at things. When you look at this, I mean, this is an area, and I actually heard, I'll, uh, for, to, to be candid, I heard you talking with Jordan Harbinger, uh, which is where I first heard you on his show, and you talked about the aspect of faith and your own appreciation for people who are, who are, who do profess a certain faith when you see how it benefits their lives. So we're outside of a right, wrong, just like we talked about in the first show, but you said to see that, especially in, you know, some of the acute aspects of life to have that feeling of that, that's, it's not all up to them. Uh, somebody right. has their back in essence. And I see that as the good side. Now, you know, again, your book is mental immunity and it starts off, you know, infectious ideas, mind parasites and the search for a better way to think. I mean, when we look at, when you look out there at the culture, so you're saying you have your own perspective and then you've got, you know, friends on both, you know, different, different aspects of spirituality. But when we look at infectious ideas, what boils, what bubbles to the surface of what you see out there in the culture, which I asked that, I mean, I guess we, we can go to any news site right now and see what's being shouted and, and argued about and have a pretty good idea. Yeah. So for any idea that you might choose to believe or not believe. You can ask, is it true? And you can ask, is it useful to believe it? Um, I've spent enough time in kind of academic communities and in, in intellectual circles to think that the first question is very important. Um, so uh, where so practical people often ask themselves, first and foremost, is this idea useful? And intellectual or academic people often want to ask, is it true first? Mm -hmm. I think both questions are important. Um, if if we if we fill our heads with true but useless beliefs, we're not going to be very good for the world. We're not. I mean, we're not going to do much good in the world. If we fill fill ourselves with useful but false beliefs, we're probably going to end up um, harming the very causes we we mean to further. Um, so. It's, I can interpret many religious doctrines as functionally useful, even if not literally true. And I'd like to credit religions with being a way to codify useful um, ideas as beliefs um, that wouldn't survive modern scientific testing, but that contain a kind of wisdom that we need to learn from and, and take into account. My own inclination is to take those practical insights and try to translate it into into literal truths that yeah. can do the same work for us well it's interesting um, in the la in our first show together i brought up nutritional supplements you know which i'm involved in and 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 so i take them i and i would say as as i said there um well there's the question of is it true or not are they actually helping increase my health in and of themselves by the ingredients within that capsule it's really hard to prove with, with those. I want that to be true and it might be true. Now on the other side, 
I think they're also useful because I do think that they are true. I do think that there's, it's, it's that I probably benefit from fish oil. And so in that placebo, in my own thought process, what is the mental gymnastics that happens when I put that pill in, I swallow it. I think it's going to help me. I would say it probably does just in that, even if it was empty, there's a benefit to it. And, and of course, if you so, so suppose that fish oil doesn't in fact do anything for you, um, I, I, I'm not saying that it doesn't, but suppose it doesn't just for argument's yeah, yeah. sake, then admitting that to yourself might prevent it from having the beneficial placebo effect you want. So I'm not gonna, <laughs> right, <laughs> right. I'm not going to, even though it's still a goofy thing that I asked my buddy, Dr. Randy James about something. Like, fish oil, really? Like everybody needs to take a fish oil pill. Uh, and he's got his reasons for it. And I, like I said before, I trust him enough that, okay, man, I, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to take it and uh, believe in it. But that's, that's, I love that concept there. Is it useful? And is it true? Cause some of the beliefs that we have that we realize, man, it's useful for my life. I don't know if it's true. We can't prove it's true. He, I, I, so I had a really interesting conversation with a, with an evolution, a famous evolutionary biologist recently who he, he has a very sympathetic view towards many religions, um, because he understands them as functionally useful, yeah. even in our in evolutionary terms. Um, my own view, as the way I explained it to him, was that when you settle for a a false belief that you th- think is useful, you may derive short term benefits, but I think ultimately we end up paying a price mm. for useful falsehoods. Like what when when those false when the push comes to shove about whether those beliefs are really aligned with reality, whether they really useful falsehoods will guide us wrong. Maybe not now, but they'll eventually guide us wrong. So I think that that testing ideas for truth can kind of help us weed out, pull out the pull the weeds out of our mental garden so that they don't overrun our our mental gardens later. <laughs> Well, just because it's an interesting conversation with you specifically, Andy, I, I got to say on this one, and we talked uh, a, a little bit again offline that, you know, I come from a, a Christian background and grew up in that and very uh, staunch was in my beliefs. And now I have, I, I really struggle to accept the structure of Christianity at all. And yet, and this is really what I've come to, to a degree of saying, man, with everything that I've experienced personally, everything that I've, uh, the knowledge I've tried to pursue everything that I I've looked at, uh, in, ch- in choosing to jump the chasm of faith, which, which we all do, whether it's that there is a God, there isn't a God, whatever, either, either way, it's a jump of faith. Mm-hmm. I have chosen the side of, of faith and belief in a higher power or a divine creator, a deity even mm-hmm. yet there's also a piece. And I've talked about this with my kids even recently that I just can't quite get to the point. I haven't been able to of saying, of not believing in, in Jesus as a, as, as deity. It's not an argument when I, I just have not no different than there's some other areas of my life, some other things outside of spirituality, even that, man, I have just found, maybe that's it. I've found life for myself. I've found usefulness for myself that I can't quite, um, deny. And when I look at the other options, they seem less, they take more faith for me than this one does even. And, And so it still comes along with that useful and true and, and I want to approach it more like what we talked about at the end of the last show with that humility. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm not going to add to that because I think you uh, 
I think you should get the final word. Okay, well, I'm sitting here thinking out loud based upon what I'm getting from you in this conversation. And it's just so interesting and is expanding my, I think, consideration and hopefully humility and how I look at this and even how I attribute well, my own. Yeah. 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 I, I just remember what I, what I wanted to say. Um, one of the things I try to do in the book is distinguish between good faith and bad faith. Mm. So a lot of times the word faith serves to kind of strengthen our resolve or um, or give us hope, give us hope or to encourage us to trust one another. I really think trust and hope and and resolve are, are key elements of the good life. And to the extent that the word faith is used to bolster those attitudes, it's a good thing. Yeah. When the word faith is used to excuse rigid closed-mindedness and inflexibility then it becomes i think a bad thing yeah so i'm i, I prefer to call myself resolutely hopeful than faithful but i think we're talking about something very similar here um when i say i am determined to be optimistic and 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 hopeful and to work for the greater good i think i'm i'm using different language for for things that many religious folks talk about when they talk about having faith in a higher power. Yeah. Mine's a secular way of describing it, but I think the ultimate attitudes and their functionality are pretty similar. Well, again, I, I agreed. And as we talked about in the first show, I would, and as you and I have found, as we've been together for a while here, that um, regardless of some of the specifics, the values seem very aligned. Um, yeah. Very aligned. Well, the next one is is relationships which my gosh, that's what we're talking about so much in this. You're talking about ideas and the things that we choose a belief in and how they, we talked so much in the last show about the, the, the desire to belong uh, to yeah. other people. And yeah, so with that, obviously it's a big part of what you are involved here is relationships and how you relate to others. So in some sense, I feel like I've read your book on what you value with relationships, but I'll ask you to, to speak it out here for the listeners. Yeah, uh, well, I, I I just feel wonderfully fortunate to have a supportive family, uh, you know, terrific friends, and and I can't even imagine a good life without them. Um, and and the sciences also tell us that the quality of our relationships has more to do with our happiness. Like, if you want to change, the one thing that can have a bigger effect on your happiness than anything else is to invest in your friendships. Yeah. It turns out having good strong friendships impacts your happiness more than how much money you have, for example. Um, so, so I think relationships, friendships, family are really, really important. Um, I, uh, I, I, I live in a community. I mentioned that I live near the tree of life synagogue. Yeah. This is in a, in a neighborhood in Pittsburgh that is really tight. There's just some wonderful close knit community here. And I've just felt the embrace of that community for much of my life and I'm really grateful for it. And when I drive through parts of the country that have just become strip malls and developments, kind of soulless developments, and uh, I wonder how different my life might have been if I weren't so fortunate to have been born in, in a community like that. 
how do you just day-to-day habits? How do you engage with the relationships with your family and, and outside of that to, um, well, to that, to invest in those relationships and have them in the healthy level you want? Yeah. Well, so both my, my wife and I both work and we, uh, both work hard and we, we like to, to share and drink at the end of the day. That's kind of a ritual, a little social ritual that, uh, ensures that we spend quality time together, really catching up and learning about each other's, uh, what's happened in, in the work lives. Um, uh, boy, um, I've, I've also been an ath- a, a team sport athlete. Uh, Ultimate Frisbee was my game back oh, yeah. in the day. And uh, some, formed some wonderful, wonderful friendships uh, on the on the ultimate field, uh, you know, battling hard for uh, against teams from other parts of the country. And uh, that the sense of solidarity and belonging that you get from competitive team sports is something I, I really cherish. Um, so that that's been a that's been a really rich addition to my life is is the sport of ultimate frisbee but you know there's a neat aspect of the sport of ultimate that i have to mention here um the the sport was invented by a bunch of hippies uh, back in the 60s and yeah and they basically said we don't need referees um we can we can play this game on the honor system and everybody's and they wrote this into the rules everybody's expected to put fair play ahead of the desire to win so the players self-referee, it's called the spirit of the game clause. And the idea is that we're all expected to, to have this spirit of, of, of belonging, of togetherness that extends across team boundaries to the other team so that we take the integrity of the game, put the integrity of the game first. And for 50 years now, the members of the sport have refereed themselves and shown standards of integrity that are would put much of the rest of the sports world to shame. It, it's neat how that self-expectation um, tends to bring out the best. I what an incredible concept. Uh, that fits in line with your book of mental immunity. If we all approached our, especially these beliefs and these opposing sides, if we could self-referee ourselves for the betterment of both sides, what a different culture we would be in. Ultimate, I did yeah. not know that about ultimate Frisbee. That's incredible. Yeah. Imagine if you transplanted that spirit of the game ethic into politics, right? Yeah. I mean, It'd be a different different country. We need to vote the head of the ultimate Frisbee Association and to <laughs> Congress. <laughs> yeah, I might have to clip that part of this podcast and share it. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay. So uh, on that note, health and wellness is the next one here. And so you talk about being a past athlete, playing ultimate. Uh, right there, what do you do for uh, you know just exercise and movement these days? Well, less and less the older I get. Um, but uh, I've been a runner for since I was about 17. So I joined the cross country team in high school, hated running initially, but grew to love it. Um, Racked up a lot of miles over the years. I I I've probably run maybe three miles a day, maybe three miles every other day for, I don't know, 35 years or something. And I've 
I, I've reached a point where if I don't get exercise, I, 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 my skin starts crawling. So <laughs> I kind of need it. I need, need my endorphin fix or something. Uh, agreed yeah. on that one. How about on the nutrition side, diet, anything you ascribe to there? Though I did want to ask on, uh, and I forgot to, that on the evening, getting back together with your wife at the end of the day and the drink, what's, what's the drink? I want to know. Uh, for me, it's beer. For her, it's wine. Okay. Okay. <laughs> That's what I wanted. I'm a beer guy. It, yeah. What's the brand? What's your brand? Uh, I'm fond of Corona. Uh, I like New Belgium beers a lot. Um, Bel Belgian white whites are, are a favorite. Okay. Well, you should come visit me here in Colorado. We're like craft brew capital of the, uh, of the, of the country, I think. And it's such a tragedy, Andy, that I have I've, my entire life. I go through a sense of trying to like beer and I just, I just didn't get that gene, but wine. So I can join your wife. Um, okay. For, for, <laughs> well, you're missing out my friend. I know. I know. I, I so regret it. I might um, take you up on that visit. That okay, sounds okay. Sounds deal good. deal. We've got, I, I got the places to take you with. Okay. So on the nutrition side, what are you doing there? Yeah. Um, no nutrition side. Uh, I'm not religious about my eating healthy, but I, I'm, I'm lucky to have a wife who loves to cook healthy stuff. Mm. So that makes it easy. Um, got a uh, history of Alzheimer's in the family. Yep. So I should probably be much, I should be taking the fish oil. and. <laughs> yeah. sure. I'll send you some supplements. Uh, <laughs> we'll see if they're useful or true. Yeah. <laughs> <All right. laughs> um, uh, I, I guess um, probably the thing I think, the aspect of my diet that I think about the most is, is how much meat I eat. I've been really trying to cut back on meat, less for health reasons, more for ethic, ethical reasons. I, Interesting. I, just as I've taught the ethics of abortion, I've had the chance to teach the ethics of your know, food ethics and, and the ethics of eating animals. Um, and the arguments for becoming a vegetarian are overwhelmingly strong. But my willpower has again and again proved unupt, incapable of keeping me on the straight and narrow there. Yeah. So I try not to be too religious or judgmental about it, but I try to eat less meat and I try to encourage others to do the same. I mean, I hear you on that. 30 years ago, I read a book by John Robbins. He's the son of the Robbins from Baskin Robbins Empire. And uh, a staunch vegetarian, vegan uh, even, and he went through, you know, all the reasons, the arguments for being uh, vegetarian, if not, if not vegan. And that started us on that. But today I do, I do some meat. I do some, I, I really adore cheese, but I treat it, treat it as a treat. Uh, oh, I think it's that, that sounds to me like you've advanced to a higher level there than I have on, on the cheese thing. I, I still have a real weakness. Hey, can I tell you a cool story about Please. this? I was teaching a course in ethics and public policy, and we were doing a, a segment on food ethics and, uh, you know, just presented the arguments for and against a meat heavy diet. And again, you know, again, encouraging students to consider them all and yeah. weigh them up the way they wanted to. Um, and, but almost all of the students realized the arguments for becoming a vegetarian are really very, very, very strong, or at least cutting your meat intake a lot. Um, and during the middle of this course, uh, you know, the students wanted to know, well, what are you going to, I shared my view that that was true. And, and the students basically said, all right, well, what are you going to do about it? 
And all of a sudden I was sitting there staring at 60 students who'd been hanging on my every word. And I said, I guess I'm going to stop eating meat. I said it's to, and then for the rest of the semester, I, I stayed meatless and they checked, checked, checked up on me every couple of days. And they, I think they enjoyed the kind of back and forth conversations yeah. I facilitated, but they were even more fascinated by a living example of somebody trying to live up to their to, to to walk the talk. Yeah. That's a- and, and I've I've fallen off the wagon many times uh since then, but it was amazing to me how passionate the students became when they got to talk about these things and then experiment with dietary changes themselves and, and to have a professor who actually tried for for a couple of months to um to walk the talk. Uh, I got a lot of positive feedback from that. Well, it's a great example of that belonging that we were talking about. You guys did that as a collaborative, involved, invested group. And uh, yeah. great to hear the testimony of what that did. Yeah, I, I can see that's a great example, too, of what we talked about before, of just a belief that uh, you really don't want to hear discounted. You'd rather <laughs> it came out today that said, you know what? What we finally found out, best thing you can do for Alzheimer's, Bacon every meal or whatever it may be <laughs> uh, fit in with that confirmation bias. Well, the next one, Andy is, is mind and mental health, which, I mean, your book's called mental immunity. I mean, this is where at the end of the day, you're addressing this issue of ideas and beliefs for our benefit, which I, you know, that's a great premise for me to put out. Maybe I'll put that in the intro that folks, I mean, this book, you know, as anybody I have on the show and any book we have, but this is, this is written for your benefit. This is to help take your mental state right now and help try to give you some peace and, and some fulfillment. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I, I've been um, asked to speak a number of times recently to, uh, you know, American psychological associate groups that work on mental health and, I wrote the book, so mental health professionals often focus on the emotions that cause emotional um, dislocation and and instability and and grief. Um, I approached this from a philosophical perspective, and I was interested primarily in how the mind um, sheds false ideas and, and, and harmful ideas. I actually think that the more you allow false and harmful ideas to build up in your mind, the more mental health costs, sorry, the, the more the more you pay a price. So actually getting good at critical thinking, getting good at spotting falsehoods and, and shedding them is actually an important way to enhance our, our wellness. So mental immune health, as I put it, is an important part of, of mental health overall. But it's a brand new concept. The idea that our minds have immune systems that can function better or worse is a brand new idea that that could change the field of mental health in some interesting ways. I mean, it, it is. It brings up Andy when we talk about like that infectious ideas. Let's say a negative, a, a life taking idea, a harmful idea, a bad idea, as opposed to a, a a good idea, a truth. Even, I mean, obviously there's muddy water in that, in that we take any of these ideas, again, outside of the absolute truth of gravity and falling off a 
thousand foot clip. The majority of the issues that we talk about that are in the media, that are in the culture that we're talking about in our relationships are ideas that we have a perspective on that. There is not a specific objective reality that can be proven. Can I put that a slightly different way? Please. I would say that when it comes to political questions, it's important that we do strive for an objective understanding. It's just that the view that the the objective reality is so complicated. So okay. It, so any one idea, especially moral and political and religious ideas, um, have lots of properties, and so an idea can be true or useful or or encouraging or depressing and. I think ideas do, in fact, have these properties objectively. And then when we look at them honestly and appreciate both the pros, both the good qualities and the bad qualities, um, okay. we, we become wiser. So, so the, the okay. inclination, whenever you have an idea that has some qualities you really like, it's easy to basically turn a blind eye to its bad qualities. Okay. I'm arguing for the kind of openness and honesty that allows us to acknowledge both the good and the bad qualities of any idea we care to discuss. It's interesting. If we look back to our first discussion, our part one, and we brought up the concept of, of abortion and the opposing sides there that I believe the, you know, the true heartfelt proponents on, on either side probably have very similar values. They are valuing, as you said, life and freedom that they both are the life and freedom of the woman of, of this unwanted, um, child and that the objective reality is a value of life. And they both share that. Yeah. Now they're of course looking at the specifics of it and, and concerns that they have there. But wouldn't that be interesting if we boiled it down and showcase that you're both talking about in an essence, why well, you taught on this. Is that a fair statement to say you're probably both talking about the same objective reality that you both value? Yeah. Is that too simple? Well, okay. No, no, that's exactly right. So whenever we assume there is no objective truth or, or deeper shared understanding that can be had, conversation just doesn't go anywhere. The only reason you push past initial disagreement and search for common ground is if there is a more objective or a better understanding that can be had. And I think it's always true that we can deepen and enrich and, and add nuance to our understanding. So that makes me want to encourage people to say, don't give up on the objectivity of these things. Um, don't just write these ideas as merely subjective or these issues as merely subjective. Because the moment you do that, you deprive yourself of any motivation to, to dig deeper and to really understand okay. better. Okay. I so I'm, I, so I, I originally, I, I, I was taught to be suspicious of the whole concept of objectivity yep. in, in college. But I've come around to the view that the concept of objectivity is really important. It plays a super functional role in keeping dialogue fruitful. Um, so at the very least, it's useful to imagine that there's an objective truth Grant. and to seek it together. No, I accept that. That's, that's, I do appreciate that, even in the aspect of objective truth. It, it reminds me of your conversation with Jordan Harbinger on critical thinking 
and how mm. it has its value, but it can fall into just criticalness overall and you've lost it. Okay. Right. Um, work, career, business is the next one. And then looking at your own values, it's interesting that at the end of part, our initial conversation together, part one, I asked you or brought up the subject of some of the things that you said in your book that could be taken uh, poorly by some people. And I hope they wouldn't, they would have mental immunity and be able to not throw the baby out with a bathwater and say, well, I don't agree with that, but go on and, and not just diss it like your recent uh, Amazon review where a guy took your left wing, whatever he called it and gave you a one-star review. And of course I'm sure discounted the value of the book overall. So in that regard, with that as a preface, your work career business values, um, I'm, I'm guessing tend to be towards you really just more than even just the personal gain want to, uh, impart something to people. Yeah. I, I mean, teaching was my family business. Both my parents were teachers oh, wow. and, um, I, I feel as though I was always expected to serve the larger good. I, I was never in, in fact, my parents brought me up with a certain cynicism about the business world as just a bunch of profit seeking kind of self enriching. Uh, and I, I no longer think that that caricature of the business world is fair. Yeah. There's plenty of good things that happen in the business world and many people do good, create good businesses uh, because they care about serving the larger good. Um, but it was always just a given in my family that I would would serve. I, my my parents just made it clear from the beginning they wanted me to do work that served a larger good. Yeah. Um, so I went into teaching. Uh, these days, I, I've actually I actually left higher education and ran some businesses. Uh, I, I, uh, I'm an entrepreneur who's founded a series of businesses. Uh, some of them quite successful. Um, but nowadays I'm working full time to promote this science of mental immunity because people keep telling me this could really make a difference in the world. And hey, the original immunology of the body saved millions of lives. Maybe the immunology of the mind can save millions of lives. That's, that's why you're on the show today, uh, Andy, is, is for that. And I appreciate your devotion to the greater good. You know, it's interesting as I've had people, as I've switched this show from just the habits show to saying, what are the values behind it on the spiritual, uh, category specifically, a lot of people who may not have any uh, specific uh, spiritual, um, you know, claim, but they all ultimately say that they have a commitment to serving the larger good, which I, I, I would, I was gonna say, I was about to say, I would argue, but really, as I look at the definition of what spirituality is, that is what's at the core. It's, it's serving, believing in however, something greater than yourself, as you just laid out there. And that way of putting it, I think builds bridges between the religious and secular communities. And that's a wonderful thing. Agreed. Agreed. Mm -hmm. Um, Next one, money, finances, and wealth. What are the uh, the values you would say that you <laughs> ascribe to there? Well, nobody goes into philosophy for the money, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was about when you said, well, I went into teaching. Okay, uh, that, yeah, that's uh, you're probably benefiting more from your short years in the entrepreneurial world now financially than the teaching years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, not only did I did I uh, turn my back on a 
on a promising career in physics because I got interested in philosophy, thereby probably giving up millions in in lifetime opportunity. I actually earned tenure at a pretty college and ended up resigning that, giving up uh, probably three million dollars in guaranteed lifetime income and job yeah. security and and all the rest. So. I've made some financially imprudent decisions in my life, yeah. but I no no regrets. Um, understand, and, you know, and with that, with work, career, and business, I mean, to see your own. So you left that, did some entrepreneurial things. Now this book, and and like you said, you've been approached for or are doing you know speaking engagements, whatever. So you've got opportunities, you know, happening there. So is are you pleased with the evolution that you've seen, even after having left some of those things that were uh, maybe suspect for some folks. Yeah, that this book was a combination of of thirty years of striving to get clear and and precise about things I'm really passionate about. So it was that was a real labor of love, um, and it's been gratifying to see so many people who think hard about these things say, "Andy, you need to develop these ideas out. We need to together build a." A science of mental immunity that helps all of humanity deal with this flood of information yeah, yeah. Um, that we're facing. Um, so I, I, I was encouraged to start a research institute. Uh, we call it CIRCE. That's an acronym for Cognitive Immunology Research Collaborative. But uh, basically, in just a few months, we've raised a bunch of funding and um, gotten pledges of support for our our mental immunity project. And I'm, I'm thrilled that people are, are rallying to my idea, the idea at the heart of my book and wanting to use those ideas to change the world. Well, that's exciting to hear. And, and, and were you serious on, on your, are you pondering another book or actively going after another one? Uh, I've got one outlined, but uh, I'm having trouble finding the time to write it. Right. And uh, also I have, I have, perennially struggled with writer's block, which is always hard. So when it does come out, let me know. We'll do this. We'll do this again. Well, last one here, Andy, is just, you know, the achievements and and interests, the things that you were really uh, interested in. And if there are any side, you know, hobbies or things you do for, for play, some of the things that are just for you. Well, my, uh, my knees no longer withstand the rigors of ultimate frisbee so frisbee golf is uh one of my fallback oh beautiful yeah yeah (laughs) that's fun uh but uh you know sharing good beers listening to blues music um just having great conversations with friends that that, for me that's what it's all about blues music who's a few that fall top of the list there uh well a big mark knopfler fan oh sure uh, and uh uh I've recently become a fan of Curtis Zalgado. Um, he's terrific. There's a young guy uh, from the Mississippi, from the blues, from the Mississippi blues. Uh, what's his name? King, I think his nickname's Kingfish. I'm really enjoying his stuff recently. Um, and, and if folks don't know Mark Knopfler, that was uh, Dire Straits back in the day. Um, and his and his solo career since then is is even more astonishingly wonderful. Than- I, and I got really into him at, at, during that solo career. And initially, he did a kind of a blues album with an older guy, and it was the two of them. They had a name I cannot remember what it is. I'll have to go back. I kind of forgot about it. It's been a while. 
I'll have to find that one. That's yeah, I'll, I'll go, I'll go search for it. I need to listen to it, uh, again as well, man, Andy, thank you. Thank you for just the continued uh, discussion and just sharing from the personal side. And, um, I'm excited to get this out to people. You've given me a lot to think about for my own mental immunity growth. So, uh, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Kevin. Good luck to you and keep up, uh, keep having these conversations. I think it's doing a world of good. Thank you. Okay, friends, just such thoughtful responses from Andy Norman. Again, you can find Andy's book, Mental Immunity, anywhere and connect with him at andynorman.org. Thanks as always for choosing to tune into the Self-Helpful Podcast. If you got value, it'd be great for you to leave a review about this specific episode and the podcast at large. And best of all, just take something you heard, something you learned and talk about it. Talk over dinner or coffee with someone and mull it around a little bit. It'll help you both. I sincerely hope I've helped you help yourself. 